This, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Amanda Delheimer. Today we bring you a story by company members Megan Steelstra and Sarah Zamatis. We're particularly excited to share this story with you as a part of the celebration of the release of Megan's new book, The Wrong Way to Save Your Life, from Harper Perennial on August 1st, 2017. The story originated as an essay in Megan's book, and when she sent it to Sarah to get her thoughts and feedback, Sarah asked if the two of them could craft the story as a dual performance for Second Story. They work to transform Megan's essay into this two-person performance about the power of kindness and learning to show up for each other when it matters. Recorded live at Found Social Kitchen in Evanston, Illinois on May 20, 2017, Second Story presents Megan Steelstra and Sarah Zamatis. Sarah and I were at Little Bad Wolf, a cocktail bar on Chicago's north side. Have you been there? It has fancy tacos and great old fashions. Like really great. (laughs) We had a lot of them. A month earlier, Sarah had found out that her two-year-old daughter, Sophia, has a brain tumor. She couldn't shake the flu, and when I took her to the pediatrician, they discovered that the flu wasn't the flu. Snap your fingers. That's how fast your life can change. It's been over two years since the initial diagnosis. 852 days. And every Tuesday, Sarah and her husband, Scott, drop their two older boys off at my house. Then they take Sophia downtown for chemo at Lurie Children's Hospital. Our road has been easier than most. She always says that. Lurie is the best pediatric cancer facility in the Midwest, and it's here. She is always with the bright side. We don't have to move to a different city for treatment like so many other families do. She is always with the silver lining. We have health insurance, flexible jobs, and an incredible community. The week of Sophia's diagnosis, four women showed up from different corners of our lives to organize the meals and pickups, playdates, people wanting to know what they could do. What can I do? I asked when she dropped the boys off that first terrifying Tuesday. Make it stop. I don't want to go. That's what I wanted to say. But there wasn't space to fall apart. Her face was locked in this sunny smile, brave for Sophia, for the boys, for Scott. I thought she was a fucking warrior. I thought this is what strength looks like. Not a bodybuilder with the biceps, not Superman holding up a skyscraper, not an army of thousands with their guns and their tanks and their bombs. No, strength is a mother. At some point, she said this through the sunny smile. Uh, Not today. Name it. I will need to get drunk. (laughs) And so, old fashions. Little Bad Wolf. We met eight years ago, right after I had my son. My friend Amanda was worried about me and called Sarah, who came over that very night, standing in my front hall with a bottle of wine. I remember she wore a black wool cape and knee-high boots, her thick... (laughs) her thick hair to her waist. I had snot everywhere and the same yoga pants I'd worn all week. My hair was falling out in clumps. Amanda told me Megan was having a hard time and needed a mom friend. I'm a mom. I'm friendly. (laughs) I'd never been a crier, but at that point I couldn't stop. Earlier that afternoon at the pediatrician's office, my tiny son slept in his infant car seat while I sobbed and filled out paperwork. The receptionist came over then with a box of Kleenex, leaned into me and whispered, look at the woman behind you. I I turned and there she was, infant car seat at her feet, crying her eyes out. 
You're totally normal, the receptionist said. You're all totally normal. It seems like such a small thing, but I needed those words. I needed Amanda making that phone call. I needed Sarah in my hallway. Hi, I said, holding out the bottle of wine. Hi, I said, and burst into tears. My sister had postpartum depression. I know that look. It's so nice to meet you. How about we switch? And she reached for my baby and handed me the wine. When we first discovered the tumor two years ago, everything went on autopilot. I took the boys to school. I took Sophia to the hospital. I showed up when and where I was told to. So when Megan told me to show up at Little Bad Wolf, I showed up at Little Bad Wolf. If you want to disappear for a night, this is your place. It's small and dark. We sat off in the corner. It felt like a confessional. And mainlined bourbon. And talked about things that weren't cancer. And then we talked about cancer. Cancer is here now, I said. Fuck cancer, I said. And she told me about that first Tuesday at the hospital. After the chemo, when Sophia was sleeping, I left her in the room with Scott, and I took the elevator downstairs. I needed air, space, something. I went outside. You know how the Museum of Contemporary Art is right across the street? I sat down on the steps. People walking by, going about their lives as though everything was just fine, and I just... I lost it. Have you ever held a friend's hand as their heart breaks? This woman took care of me. She peeled me up off the floor. For her, I would kill a dragon. Except she doesn't want a dead dragon. (laughs) She wants a cure for pediatric cancer. I sat there crying on the museum steps. She went on. And all these people were staring at me, just walking past me, and none of them, no one... No one asked if you were okay? Nobody. I tried not to scream. I had had a lot to drink. My friend was hurting. Her child was hurting, and words can't fix it, but they are a start. Are, and you, and okay. I I thought of all the times I hadn't said it. People I'd assumed were asleep, or passed out, or wanted to be left alone. What if they were sick? What if they needed help? Needed protection from a creepy guy or a loud-ass racist or an online troll or some small act of humanity to make it through the next five minutes? I, I wanted to show up and yell at everybody who passed her on the steps. I wanted to go to med school and find her a cure. I wanted to hug her, but the table was at a weird angle. I wanted a better angle. I wanted a better world. I wanted to be a better person. But then, she said, after I was all cried out, I went back into the hospital and I got on the elevator. A woman got on with me. She was a nurse, I think. She was wearing scrubs. And as the doors shut in front of us, she looked at me. And do you know what she said? She said, do you need a hug? It seems like such a small thing, but I did need that hug. I needed someone to see my pain. I needed someone to see me. A few months later, I spent the day with Sarah and Sophia at the hospital. You have got to meet this little girl. She wears bunny slippers everywhere. Two pigtails stick out of her head. She's sunshine. Like her mother. Here are the fish, she says, dragging me to a wall-sized tank. Here are the donuts, she says, waving at the coffee kiosk. Here are my friends, she says, introducing me to the medical team that she sees every week. They take her measurements. They take her blood. They insert a needle into her chest and inject toxic medicine into her tiny body in hopes it will stabilize the tumor. This is her normal. 
Have you ever been to Lurie Children's Hospital? The elevators are painted with murals of bright, happy cities. There are buttons placed kid-high that make traffic sounds when you push them, like bicycle bells and honking car horns. Sophia ran around in her bunny slippers. It was the end of the day. She must have been exhausted. But she had to press each one. And then she made Sarah and I press each one so she could dance to the bells. And then she made us dance to the bells. She made us stop everything and dance. This is her normal, too. That's when the elevator doors opened and a woman got on alone. She wore sweatpants. Her eyes were red. Her hands shook. She stared ahead, frozen, as the elevator counted down. I know that look. I know their children's general diagnosis by the button they press on the elevator. I know what she needs. Sarah reached out and touched her arm. Excuse me. She said. Do you need a hug? And for the rest of the ride, and a half an hour downstairs in the lobby, I watched Sophia watch her mother be kind. The next day, I kept my, hun my son home from school. I wanted to spend time. I, I wanted to stop time. And there was something I needed to do, and I wanted him to see me. We drove downtown to his first pediatrician's office eight years ago when he was born. I hadn't been there in forever, but when I walked through the doors, I could still feel the fear, a memory I carry not in my head but my bones. The place still looked the same. Colored walls, cutesy playroom, happy toddlers, and behind the desk, the same receptionist who'd brought me the Kleenex. I knew she would be there. I'd looked at the staff page online and found her picture, and then called to make sure she was working that day. Can I help you? She asked. I gripped the desk with both hands and said in a rushing run-on sentence, I'm sure you don't remember, but seven years ago, I had postpartum depression. And one day at an appointment, I cried in the lobby, and you came over and told me I was normal, which was a life raft in ways I'm only beginning to articulate. And I want you to know how grateful I am and how grateful my family is. And I really hope I'm not freaking you out. <laughs> <clears throat> she reached out and put a hand on mine. How are you? She asked. Good, I said. And I knew it was true. We were still for a moment, and then she turned her head towards the lobby. I followed her eyes, and there sat a woman, infant car seat at her feet, crying. I looked back at the receptionist, wondering how often she did this, how many of us she had saved. And we stared at each other, a conversation without words. Then she turned to my son and said, what's your name? And I picked up the Kleenex box from the desk and headed into the lobby. If I've learned anything, it's this. Show up. A year into Sophia's treatment, we found out that her optic nerves were damaged. She had no vision in her right eye. No known reason. Maybe the chemo, maybe not. It could happen to the other eye, maybe not. Surgery might help, maybe. We moved forward quickly. She was three years old now, her third brain surgery, and she did not want it. She was scared. She fought it, fought us. She has a port in her chest, a direct line to her heart to, give blood, to draw blood and give medicine. It eliminates the need for IVs, which is a gift, but it increases the risk for infection in her heart. When she realized it was time to insert the needle in her port, she panicked. I caught her 
put her in a full Nelson, my arms hooked under her armpits and around the back of her head. To prevent her from kicking the nurse, I locked my legs around her legs, and I also had to be careful to hold her clothes out of the way while the nurse sterilized Sophia's port. We waited for the antiseptic to dry. It was the longest 30 seconds in the history of the universe. Then the nurse stabbed the needle into the port. It's violent. It's terrifying. She's three years old, and she screams, and she's my daughter, and there is no space in this room to fall apart. Four hours later, when she was resting in recovery, I left her with Scott and went to pick up my boys. They're her cheerleaders, my rocks. They remind me of my capacity for joy. And yet, when my 10-year-old got in the car that day, he said, what's the bad news from the hospital? What do you mean? I said, it's always bad news from the hospital. I thought I'd shielded him from the hard realities about his sister. When people comment on my strength, I say, our road has been easier than most. His words made me realize I'd been shielding myself. This isn't really happening to us, to her, but it is. It is the road we are on. The next morning, as I cracked an egg for breakfast, my protective shell cracked with it. I couldn't breathe. I tried to whisk the eggs, but the fork fell from my hands, and I collapsed on the cold tile. My tears turned into heaving sobs, and my emotions spilled all over the floor. I wasn't sure I would be able to get up. But it was time to take the kids to school. Autopilot. Shoes on, into the car, drive, park, down the sidewalk, through the side door, children everywhere, healthy children, children without tumors, and then... Sarah, are you okay? We stared at each other, a conversation without words. And that night, we went drinking. Little Bad Wolf. We go there a lot. It's like confession. We mainline bourbon. And we talk about things that aren't cancer. And then we talk about cancer. Fuck cancer! I want it to stop and it just keeps getting worse. Have you ever held a friend's hand as their heart breaks? What can I do, I asked, and she said, Tell me something good. Did I tell you about Sophia and the Halloween party? Okay, it was at our kids' elementary school. I walked in late. I was cranky and tired from a late meeting at work. My feet hurt. The bag of candy I carried was splitting at the base. I said hello to Sarah's boys, a gladiator, a sparkly eagle. And then I looked around for Boba Fett. Hi, Mom, he said, appearing at my elbow. Bye, Mom, he said, and back into the crowd. I was on stage leading hundreds of spazzing kids in that dance game where you freeze when the music stops. I felt a tug on my skirt and looked down. It was Sophia, dressed as Little Red Riding Hood. Here is the salami, she said, holding up an enormous wicker basket full of lunch meat and cheese cubes and fruit and popcorn and candy all mixed together. She'd gone on a solo run to the snack table. <laughs> I squatted so we were eye level. How are you, Sophia? I asked. She reached for my hand and said, we have to go dance now. I started to tell her no. I was tired, my feet hurt, the candy was breaking. But she gave me a look. I knew that look. <laughs> it seems like such a small thing, but I needed it. I needed to climb on that stage with my friend and her daughter. I needed to dance. I think all of us do. Uh, swimming in the sniffer, pretty as a picture. 
Don't get it twisted when a fight is a bit. You can name, you can keep it, but take care when you feed it. You never can take a fight out the story was curated by Amanda Delheimer, directed by Liz Rice, sound designed by Billy Eline, and produced by Pat Fries. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a City Arts Grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Amanda Delheimer, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.